Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Today I'm talking to a wonderful gentleman called John Robertson. He's a workforce wellness expert and cultural alignment specialist. He's focusing on leveraging crisis change by building the values anchored culture through trustworthy leadership, creating an environment where people want to work and personnel can thrive. And I'm pretty sure you are going to enjoy this episode as much as I have uh, enjoyed recording it because he brings in a huge sense of directness, direct communication, humor, paired with a wonderful sense of empathy, care and vulnerability. And he shares a little bit more about his own story and in particular the recent crisis that he has been going through, but also how he turned that into an opportunity and an opportunity to learn, to reflect, to refocus as well. But he's also obviously going to talk about the work he is doing. And there are a few questions he asked and he posed literally to all of you. So feel free to take this episode as a real opportunity of reflection for yourself. So one of the questions, and you might have heard that before, is why would somebody want to work here, all right, in the organization, in my little startup, whatever the space is. But the question that really stuck with me was, how do you want people to describe you non-physically? When was the last time you asked yourself this question? What do you actually want them to say? How do you want them to perceive you? But however, also, what is the impact you want to have on other people? And he's going to pose a few more questions that I would highly recommend to write down, to think about, to make notes, and then to focus on with intention, to take away a couple of steps that you may want to be taking back into your life, let it be your professional life or your personal lives. Let me tell you very briefly a little bit more about John, because he is going to introduce himself and talk more about all the work he's doing. So inspired and driven by his values, John acts as a facilitator, coach and guide for his clients as they test, discover and expand what they really can do. He uses concrete, verifiable processes to help them achieve demonstrable, solution-focused results. Remaining faithful to his passions and principles, John invests himself in his vocation without reservation. He provides spirit-filled insightful guidance that his clients use to amplify their lives and their businesses. And John truly provides leadership people can 
follow through storms. I can't wait to share some of his storms with you now, but most importantly, how he went through them. And please, as always, feel free to share your feedback with us after you've listened to the show. I'm going to pop over to the other room. Can't wait to see you there. Hello and welcome, John. It's so good to see you again. It's great to see you too. And glad to hear in the preamble, glad to hear you got some recharge time over the last few while. That's awesome. Good for you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to hear you did that too, despite some challenging times that you have experienced as well since we met um, last time. So For sure. you don't mind... Do you want to share a few insights into the last weeks uh, that includes the recharging time and how you have been recharging with the family? Well, one of the things that many of us do is we get caught in the passive approach of thinking, if I or we unplug, we recharge. Well, that kind of thinking is like saying, I'm going to put my cell phone on airplane mode to recharge it. That doesn't recharge anything. It just disconnects it. Yeah. What we have to do is not think about unplugging, but thinking about what we're plugged into. Mm -hmm. So we've had some significant deaths, losses in our family over the last three months. And a 19-year-old niece uh, died of cancer and my father died and he was 88. So both ends of that age spectrum and some other pieces going on in our family. But at the same time, that forces, challenges, and encourages us to say, okay, since I can't change life, what am I going to do to keep a charge in my battery? Well, one of the things that my family and I love doing is we love getting to a place, everybody's got a different name for it now, cottage, a cabin, a hunt camp, call it whatever we want. And it's an off the grid place. We have solar, but there's no cell phone. Well, there's cell phone coverage, but it's not great. And, you know, we do things like play cards or board games or talk. Go figure. Wow. We actually get, yeah, I know. What a novel concept. Goodness me. And so we just really enjoy getting together. And we're also very, and I call it relationship management. It's probably one of the most difficult things for leaders to do. Because relationship management is about addressing those relationships that drain the battery or charge the battery. Mm -hmm. And no male would ever ask a woman how old she is. But the older vehicle used to have dome lights that would drain the battery. If we yeah. left them on, the new vehicles, our kids don't understand that they have battery savers. So the dome light, so they don't have the joy of the next morning, usually the coldest night of the year, waking up the next morning, trying to start a car and the battery gives the click, click, click. Like there's just nothing there. Relationship management is about addressing the dome lights in our lives because some people, we love their family members. Some people, we love their friends, but we have to be very strategic to say, is this a person that drains the battery or charges the battery? Not to say it to them, but we have to protect our battery ourselves. 
So we are already diving right into the nitty gritty, but I take this opportunity because it came up three times over the last two days, actually, with people I had conversations with, um, how to do that, mm-hmm. how to realize who are the energy givers and the energy drainers, in yep. this case, or the battery um, drainers, and how to approach it. Now, the way I got to know you so far, something tells me that it is not a big challenge anymore for you to make that decision and to act up on it. But that's an assumption. So I'm curious to hear from you. What's your experience with it? How would you approach those who are switching the lights off? So one of the things that some people would say, my lights are off and nobody's home, but we'll just, we won't go with that cliche. But. One of the things that we have to do is, and it's a double-edged sword, and if somebody finds an easy way to do this, let me know, please, because I would love to find an easy way. But as we're talking with somebody, just treat it like, okay, as we're talking here, am I feeling, and it's subjective, I know that, it's not objective, am I feeling frustrated? Am I feeling, uh, can you get to the point Are you sharing the same story again? Are we rehashing something that we're not going to be able to change? And the easiest way to start that relationship management is to look at those very themes. So with some of the people that we've had in our life, I've actually said, as they start to share the story, okay, I I appreciate that this is significant for you. I really do as you've shared it with me before. Is there anything new that you're adding this time? Because I'd love to help. I'd love to be an encourager. But sharing the same story over and over, I know doesn't help anybody. So I'd love to help. So is there something new that you want to share? That will actually force, challenge, stop the person to say, okay, what am I doing differently? And Einstein or whoever made the quote, doing the same things over and over, hoping for different results, is not a sign of intelligence. And so the first piece that we have to do is give ourselves permission to say, hold it. Is there something new here? Because once we start down that rabbit trail or bunny trail, it's really hard to get back to what we want to focus on. You follow me? And so, therefore, the second part of that is stopping those draining conversations, but looking at those relationships where we start to plan times together and we feel excitement or energy because I'm looking forward to that time. And that's the key of balancing those. Because it, And I'm not a gardener. I could kill almost any plant anywhere with all the right water and fertilizer available. I have zero green thumb skills. However, I remember growing up, my father loved gardening and growing up, tomato plants had those things at the bottom and we were required because it was free labor. We were as kids, but we were required to go out and prune those bottom things off. Yeah. Do you do gardening at all, yeah, Kathleen? I do. I do. And I love okay. it. So do you know what those bottom things are called? We were told they were called suckers. Oh, really? They were the little offshoots 
that drew energy fluids, whatever mm -hmm. it's called in a plant, but drew it away from yeah. where the tomatoes would grow. Yeah. So we would have to go out and prune off all the suckers. Relationship management is the same principle. If you want to, if I want to grow and become a kind of leader that people trust, that people can follow, people can respect, then I have to be the first one to manage those suckers, those things that draw me away from what I'm gifted and wired to do. So I was trying to put myself into that situation that you described first, right? Someone is uh, repeating the story again yep. and then you kindly challenge it. Yep. Here are some additional thoughts. When I'm experiencing that situation and I notice inside of me that I might get frustrated, impatient, yeah. I also challenge myself why that is. 100%. So be be because there's, for example, one element that I noticed as a pattern about myself, I get annoyed about certain traits and others that I actually carry in myself. The I thing that annoy me about myself. Okay. And let me give you the cliche because you and I were joking about Johnisms. The thing that you find the most annoying about me is a reflection of you. Parents is the easiest way to see it because that kid that gets up your kilt, eh, <laughs> might want to look in the mirror. Yeah. We agree. <laughs> so, so there's there is indeed the challenge that I give to myself at that moment and instead of jumping in there where I give, give a signal which I do at some point that this story has been shared on multiple occasions before I do ask myself this first I also ask myself what might this person need most I ask myself questions around my tone, the body language that I'm now applying, the signals I'm sending. There's a lot of inner dialogue, as you can notice here already, but it, it takes a few seconds, basically. Sure. Yeah. So for me, there are a few facets in between challenging this and checking in with myself first. What is going on there and as to whether that's the right step in that moment. 100%. And what you picked up on is a, a, a doctor, she's gone now, she died now, but Dr. Judith Glasser wrote a book on conversational intelligence. And the premise behind it is the ladder of conclusions, because there's what I think I'm saying to you, there's what you hear me saying to you, and there's the third mind, which is the perception, the interpretation filter. And what you just described is textbook monitoring, self-checking. Am I doing this because my battery's too low and I just don't have any more caring capability right now? Or is this the 15th time this story has been shared? And okay, I can't do Groundhog Day anymore. I need to move on. And finding the wisdom in between those two. And, and so absolutely, the self-check, non-negotiable, asking them, you know, and because I get caught, I try and jump in and help before the person realizes that help is not a bad thing. And so I get people upset with me or offended, whatever, but they get upset because, well, 
perfect example is my wife did the, John, I need you to listen to me. And when a wife says that to a husband, a wise husband sits up, takes notice. And then she adds, I need you to listen to me with your eyes and your ears and with your mouth. I do not need fix. I need listen. I love that. Yeah, well, I heard it more than once before it started to sink in. And I'm not great at it, but I've definitely improved. That exact premise is leadership in person. It's does the person feel heard? And if that's not first, doesn't matter what gets said after. It doesn't work. And you work with leaders on a day-to-day basis. You are a leader yourself. Mm-hmm. How often do you experience leaders putting a lot of pressure on themselves by trying to fix someone else's problem, despite the fact that these people might simply need to be heard and, and share something, get it uh, off the chest? You know what? I would love your listeners to repeat that statement to themselves 400 times. Are they repeating to be heard? And am I trying to fix without hearing them? And whether we get into a debate about what's listening and what's hearing, it doesn't matter. What we're talking about is, does that other party feel heard and listened to? Because 90% of the time, Most of us don't need the other person to do much except really listen and clarify what I'm meaning when I'm sharing, not what I'm saying. And one of the biggest struggles that's happening with leaders today or leadership today is a lot of us are getting caught with all these demands being put on the plates And I think in business, the expression is go slow to go fast. Mm -hmm. And we think working harder is smarter. Mm -hmm. And those two collide when it comes to leading people. In what sense do they collide when it comes to leading people? I understand it conceptually. I'm interested here in your observations and the information you receive from people you support. So perfect example, I was working with a person and she was just one of those people that, and I know in a workplace is probably not the most professional thing, but she was just one of those people that you loved. You just, you wanted to be near her, you wanted to hug her. She just exuded, I'm here for you kind of persona, okay? You got a mental picture of that kind of quality. And what was happening was because she had that wiring, people would come and share this with her and that with her and this other. And and all of a sudden, she's feeling her plate becoming super full. Mm -hmm. What started to happen was she would log extra hours, didn't help. Then she started to become not rude, but succinct, curt, less time on her strengths because she had so many things to get done. It's a sign of being stressed. And then people was, well, what's the matter with her? And then she started to notice it in her own life, in her own relationships. So she started to work harder to get the things off her plate instead of working smarter to say, does this need to be on my plate? 
Yeah, sounds like a slight downward spiral here. Well, actually, it was. It was a toilet bowl flush because once she started, it was only going one direction. And where I got involved was kind of that snippet of, okay, I'm not in a good place and I'm starting to see the things that matter erode or crumble. What can I do? So we got chatting. And one of the things that she started to do was to help with her plateful is ask people at the end of them sharing. So what is it you are asking me to do? And that one question saved her so many assumed workload issues, because if they didn't answer the question, she didn't put it on her plate. And other examples, but one of the things that always happens through crisis or change is leaders have to be really crystal clear that until I admit I need or ask for your help, don't assume you can. And it's a human strength and Achilles heel because 90% of us as humans want to help other people. The key is ensuring that they admit or ask that they want the help. And if you, again, like I said, if you find an easy way to do that, drop me an email because I'd love (laughs) to know the quick fix to doing it. (laughs) I come come back to asking for help in a short moment. Before um, we dive into that topic, I'd love to know from you what it is you truly love about your work. And just for uh, the listeners, we have been chatting away before we hit the record button. And actually, John shared something about his work that made him literally shine and glow and smile. And and there was nothing you had to say. It just became so obvious that you do like your job a lot. So I would love for you to share it with the listeners. Okay. And... Kathleen, this is where I'm going to kind of throw you under the bus because, well, well, I'm, you know, it's one of my strengths. And what I'd love to do is hear from you where what you heard when you were listening or what you were listening to when you heard me talk about my passion. So you were talking about the nonverbals that I would get. What stood out for you in what I was sharing? What stood out for me was the ability, and you didn't say it in those words, but the ability to help people shift perspectives, for example, to enable them or support them managing difficult situations and seeing actually opportunities in it. So so the big part was the real guidance and support. And the reason I asked you that is that's exactly what listening and hearing is really all about. It's not how well can a person repeat what the other person has said, but how well can I pick up on what they meant? And you're right. That's the sweet spot in my work, because when people are dealing with crisis or change, the things that used to matter may not make my radar anymore. So the key is choosing what is of value to me? What is going to matter for me? And, you know, many of us have had a motor vehicle collision. If what matters to me is the vehicle I drive, then that wallop is going to be huge 
On the other hand, I've been involved in some horrible events where motor vehicle collisions, where people have been killed. And so if my, if my family or friend has a motor vehicle collision, I don't have a problem saying, yeah, 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 I'm not worried about the car. Are you okay? Because, you know, like I was sharing with you earlier, 20 years from now, that type of car isn't going to matter. That person will. Yeah. And in the workplace, those values are the motivational preferences. They are what's important to me. And you know the irony? People use the term evaluate all the time. But ask them, so if you are evaluating, John, what are the values that you're evaluating by? Because how does, how does one evaluate when we're not crystal clear on our values. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love crisis or change because it challenges us to decide, define, okay, what will matter to me? What matters to me? Yeah. What matters to you? And with leadership, the question I always keep coming back to, how do you want people to describe you non-physically? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, leadership development is based around three questions. How do I want people to describe me non-physically? How do people describe me non-physically? And what do I want to do about the gap? I'm trying to picture you with a client um, Mm -hmm. that you have either never met before. It might be the initial chemistry meeting, for example, or you have met very briefly before. It doesn't matter. You don't know each other very well. Right. And you would ask that question, how do you what how would you describe me non-physically? Yeah, I don't start with that question, just to be clear. Because mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't promote listening. That's where we get to after we've had conversations. Because when people share, and like with a new person, I will tend to ask questions like, so what's going on? What's gone sideways? What's bothering you? What's whatever. And then I always follow it up with, why does that matter for you? Because the why question is answered by values. I experience when asking this or a similar question, quite often long pauses, Yes, which, which is wonderful, right? It's yes, it is. thinking yes, and it reflection is. process. Yep. So here you go, please yep. take your time. Thinking about the question, how would people describe you non-physically? I'm curious, what are some of the common responses that you are getting? Or even on top of that, the common reactions you are getting? Okay, you picked up on the first one, silence. And it's kind of like talking to a teenager. The eyes kind of roll back in the head as, okay, where's this coming from kind of response. But then it comes out with the generic. Well, I want people to respect me and I want people to like me and and I want people to trust me. And okay, what do you want to be respected for? Because as a heads up, and every parent goes through this exact same discussion in their mind, if it's a choice between being liked by our kids or respected by our kids, which ones 
more important because those two will collide in the workplace. You know, do I want to be a success? Okay, well, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that as a value. But what does success mean? Because, you know, hearses don't have luggage racks. And one of the things, like we're not taking stuff with us. But the second part of that is there is no greater failure in life than to succeed in a way that does not matter in the long run. So define what success means. I want people to know that, you know, John might have been a stone in the shoe, but man, he was the little boy in the emperor's new clothes. He was willing to name the elephant in the room, not because he wanted to be a jerk, but because he cared enough to say, hold it. Can you see what I see? Because this is what I'm seeing. What am I missing? And it's that supportive encouragement, not praise or accolades or some of the other things. But it's that, okay, let's roll up our sleeves and make this happen. The best visual I can give you, Kathleen, is a friend of mine once said, you know, John, you have the unique ability to lift rocks in people's lives. And I asked Bert, I said, what, do you, what does that mean? What are you talking about? And he said, people don't like you lifting the patio stones, the rocks in their lives, because you reveal what's underneath. But at the exact same time you do that, people love you for it because there's zero judgment. You lift the rocks and then you say, so we've got all these things crawling around underneath. Now, let's get into it. Yeah. And another person, and she was a senior leader in a a school principal. And her comment was, she said, the thing that I find so annoying about you is the thing I love. <laughs> I said, okay, Lane, bring it on. And she said, you're one of those people that does not shout from shore, paddle harder as my boat is leaking, has a hole in it. You're in the boat paddling with me saying, now this is exciting, isn't it? And it's like, that's exactly, I love that. Because, you know, as, as we got a hole in the boat, I don't have to worry about you sitting back talking about the weather. <laughs> it's going to be like, okay, paddle. Yeah, I, I have to admit, you give crisis a completely different meaning now and a completely different direction. I've spoken <laughs> about crisis and mindset and crisis quite a lot with people lately. But, but yeah, that picture is just brilliant, you know, and it, it was in, in your bio so nicely described as well. You are someone basically who rolls up the sleeves, who is there in it with them and, and helping people to realize themselves how to move through crisis and learn through that process. And one of the things that please, uh, to your listeners, please, please, please be mindful because this is the whole theme of listening and hearing. The event is never the real crisis. You and I might lose our job. Some people might be forever impacted. Other people are, well, that sucks. So what am I going to do now? Some people might declare bankruptcy. Yeah. 
Some people are forever walloped and other people, well, that didn't go according to plan. And let's pick up them up and keep going. The event is never the real crisis. It's the reactions. It's how people handle it. And how do people feel supported? And many, many leaders are getting caught reacting to events. It's not the event. You know, you and I could be at the exact same, whatever, our vehicle is traveling and we hit slush or black ice or any number of things on the road and it starts to spin. Afterwards, we're fine. You continue on driving and I'm still doing the kind of petrified. Same event, very different reactions. And that's a wonderful example that highlights also how we may have been experienced um, certain moments of crisis in the past, how we have been raised, the values that were taught to us. Absolutely. All of those things that have an impact on us. And upbringing is a part, big part of it, but it doesn't mean that we cannot change our approach and our mindset towards crisis. Okay. And I would encourage you, and because I know some of your backstory of your work, that whole statement, it doesn't mean change and cri- uh, change our approach. As leadership, we don't have an option but to change. Change when, I can't remember where I read it or heard it, but change when we look back, we call growth. If a leader, go back to gardening, because I'm no good at it, but go back to gardening, any organism, organization that is not growing is already dying. For you and I to be leaders, we have to decide, am I going to grow or not? There's no middle ground. So you could say we have just been coming out, and I say it deliberately that way, of a crisis. Mm-hmm. And we talked again about it before we hit the record button. COVID is one of those crises. Yes. Right? We step right away into the next crisis. Let it be the Great Resignation. Let it be the yep. Ukrainian-Russian war. Um, political changes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you could say there's one crisis after the other. Yeah. However, here it is even more important to step back and to reflect upon it and to shift the perspective on what a crisis actually entails and how it can offer growth. And that's where you step in. 100%. So so share a little bit more with uh, all of us here um, how you step in, what it is you do, you say, and how you are in detail supporting leaders in particular um, through that shift. So there's five things. Before we ever have a discussion around resources and an action plan, And I see this so many times, and I use the example of parenting a lot because it's the best, a healthy parenting model is the best leadership model there is. For example, parenting in many of the religious books, I'm of Christian origin, and so in the Bible, there is no word for parenting. The word that is used in that context is shepherding. It's the person who walks in front so that others can follow. What a beautiful illustration of leadership. Am I creating a role model that people want to follow, that people can trust, that people can respect? So how do I work with people or organizations? First, clarify what the focus is. What does success mean? 
where are you aimed? And parents, again, if I don't know where I'm going and I don't know where I'm at, how is an irrelevant question. So we don't talk about how the action plan until we clarify where you're going. The second part of that is why do you want to grow there? So those are the values. This third part is how are we going to deal with things when they don't go according to plan? So whether you call it intervention, whether you call it one of those seasons when what could go wrong did go wrong moments, what's the intervention plan so that when we get a bump in the road? And the reason this matters is many, many, many societies and cultures have not taught people how to deal with grief, loss. Most people think grief is tied to death. No, it's not tied to loss. Death is a loss, but there's a lot of other losses. So what's the intervention strategy? How are we going to help people deal with the bumps? So the focus, the motivation, the harness to pull in that direction, the intervention strategy, and then that relationship management is the team getting the right people around us. And then, of course, the shepherds, the leadership. So who am I following? Who's following me? And who is just that third party, the observer, to just willing to say, hey, just notice, this is what I'm seeing. Is that what you want people to see? And I actually use an acronym for this. I call it SHIFT RAP, R-A-P. So SHIFT is shepherds, the leadership that I'm following, and the easiest way to learn something is teach it. So who am I learning from and who am I teaching? And then that observer. Harness is the values, is the alignment, because if we're in the harness, we're pulling, we're motivated. Intervention, focus, and team. And then wrap is the resources and an action plan. Before we do resources and an action plan, you got to have a shift in place. You got to know where you're going. You got to know why you're going there. Got to know who you're going there with. And when it doesn't go according to plan, what are you going to do about it beyond suck it up, deal with it? Life happens. The expression that I get really upset, annoyed by is it is what it is. Well, it is what it is because nobody wants to do anything about it. And I've said that out loud more than once, and that's not always well received. Just letting you know. <laughs> and I think that the, the 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 other one that's for me at least really annoying is we've always done it that way. Yes, and I don't know your kind of humor, but I have that dark humor gene, and and you know that it is what it is was written on a tombstone. Those posts and tweets and all those things. Another one that was written on a tombstone was, I told you I was sick. And, and what happens is, we've always done it this way, is the best epitaph on how to stifle growth. Yeah. There is no better way. Yeah. Let's not think creatively at all in any other nope. direction. Yeah, I, We it. did a tour of an old fort and in North America, Some of the forts were the U.S. and Canada battles and so on and so forth. And they had the cannons that the horses would draw and on and on and on. And we went to this one fort and did a tour. And I can't remember if it was seven or nine 
soldiers there and every single time somebody was there okay you got two loading the cannon you got two lighting or stuffing the barrel you got cleaning the barrel you got the on and on but nobody could figure out what that seventh soldier was for the soldier just stood there and every tourist asked what's that soldier for and nobody could answer what came out was they had to do some research. They discovered that seventh soldier was there to hold the horses because when the cannon fired, the horses would scatter. So I'm not opposed to honoring tradition or the way things have been done. But let's understand the way things have been done. So we're not making our decisions based on that. But you know what? This is the most effective way to do this, or this is the proven way to do this versus, well, that's the way we've always done it, period. Yeah. Which is often, from my experience, a response of ego. Often. I don't, not always, yeah, but um, a response that defends my decisions, basically. I don't want to be challenged in that moment. There are other reasons um, as well. The other one that will come out of that will be ego, 100%. But the other one that will come out will be fear. Mm. Because if I don't know a different way to do it, it's better for me to say, well, this is the way we've always done it. Then try something different and have it not go, not work. And, you know, the cliche that I use is I would rather you think me lazy than you think me incompetent. So if I don't know how to do something, I probably won't do it. And I'd rather you think me lazy. And we know about the power of saying, I don't know who's got an idea. We know about the power of saying, I don't know, 100%. So I apologize because I interrupted you in your flow to go through the shift wrap with us. No, it's all good. All good. So it's shepherds, who am I following and who am I leading, like investing in? Some people call it mentoring. Tribe is the other expression that's being used in huddle, any number of things. But the shepherd harness is the values that's the alignment so that we're pulling in the same direction intervention focus and team and then resources time talent and treasures do i want have the time to do this do i have the talent to do this or what do i need and treasures what's it going to cost me if i do it and what's it going to cost me if i don't and then an action plan So where's the part that you were also referring to earlier on where we actually assess what's the status quo? What brought us here? What's really, really going on that from my experience often takes most of the time. And that's the intervention. So what I use is some people say I'm childish. I like to say I'm childlike. So the visual I use with people is a teeter-totter. And the fulcrum of a teeter-totter, the point around which everything tilts, is what's going on? You know, for a leader, well, nothing. We just need to change. And for the front line saying, hold it, we're changing things that work perfect. And it's not about being opposed to change. Let me illustrate, Kathleen, in a beautiful example that just happened yesterday. There's an organization that this woman works in, and they've implemented a new database software. And she works in a school office 
so it's registering students and it's signing up, making sure they got all the health records and parents contact and everything else. They implemented a new software and school is starting. They implemented the new software two days before school was starting. Brand new software. Nobody's familiar with it. And when they call IT for support, IT says, well, I'm actually not really familiar with that. And yes, we're having some glitches with that. We'll get back to you. Okay. Why didn't they ask Frontline to say, when would be the best time to start a new software? Not at the beginning of a school year. That is the worst time possible. Second only to June, the end of the school year. But they needed to improve the system with this new software. And now they've got a bunch of people who are, well, the current buzz expression is quietly quitting. They're just, yeah, you know what? I'm not putting in any more extra effort. If I don't get to this today, ah, so be it. I may get to it tomorrow. Now think about the leadership repercussions to personnel who are retired in place or in position and talk about productivity or performance or all those other impacts. And it all came out of because we need to improve the database software, but they didn't stop and think about the best way to do that. They just imposed it. What I'm missing here, and perhaps it was there and was discussed is why, the big why, you mentioned that before as well, why is that the best software? Why do we need to implement it? Why now? And really hear the people that then got to work with it. And, and if you stop and think about what we've been talking about, it's almost a checklist of all the things on how not to do it. Yeah. The values, the why. The values are not clear. The why do we need a new software? I'm sure there's reasons. I'm not mm -hmm. disputing that. But the values were not clear. The focus was not clear. There's no leadership to actually make the database operational right out of the gate. And I'm not talking about the little tweaks because that happens in any technology. I'm talking about significant ones where they can't register and transfer files. Okay, that's not good. Now, the team that was to support this, they're not even that familiar with how to fix a glitch. Yeah. Here's the great opportunity, though, that's let's learn from this. 100%. And I wanted, wanted to use a very different word now, but let's learn from this experience. Yes. Uh, look back in order to grow and to learn. If that's then missed as well, uh, how are you going to change anything? Well, things will change. And what we're starting to see, and you referenced it earlier about the great resignation, mm -hmm. but what's actually happening is I don't know about the great resignation, whether that'll continue or not. It doesn't matter. But what we can learn from this stuff is we have to start listening and hearing people. And that means, to your comment, a powerful, powerful thing that leaders can say, I don't know. Let's figure it out. And I look at this younger workforce and they're dying for that kind of leader. Yeah. They don't need experts telling them what to think. Yeah. They're dying for that leader that says, I don't know. Yeah. I'm lost. 
what do you think? What are some ideas you have? And the only bad idea is the one you go home with because we really need to figure this out. We don't have tomorrow. Let's figure it out now. And whether you call that transparency or authenticity or genuineness, call it whatever we want. But we're dying for that right now in workplace. We're literally dying for it. Oh, gosh, I call it. Can we please be real? <laughs> Can we please you know? be real? And to that, that's one of the reasons I love crisis. Because if you're going through a significant event, change or crisis, I don't have to worry about you not being real. Because, yeah. yeah, it just got pretty real really quick. And I'm not talking about the weather or all the other issues in the world. I'm talking about what's really important for you. You actually just offered a beautiful segue in one of the topics that I wanted to cover and I will cover. And that's the, the, the needs for different generations, right? 100%. What attracts different generations to a certain organization? So if I talk to my parents who were born in the late 50s, they keep saying to me, how can you go independent? How can you do that? There's no safety. So safety plays a huge role particularly having grown up in uh, times of communism. And that, that's what they are focusing on, working hard, you know, getting your pension secured, which we are not yeah. going to even start talking about <laughs> yeah. um, no. How, no. how realistic that is for my generation yep. and the following ones. These are clear values that was important for them. Yep. For me, freedom, being able to express my opinion openly, being able to be real, right? Mm -hmm. Might be work-life balance, what, whatever it is. What is it you notice amongst those different generations? And I think it's fascinating because I love it. And I've always loved teenagers because you can't play head games with a real teenager. They'll call you on it. Yeah. They'll just, yeah, whatever. And, and I love that because I don't have to worry about, you know, getting caught up in fluff because a teenager will just take us out at our knees. The different generations, and I would add to that, the different cultures in the workplace is actually far more conducive with the right leadership for growth. Because when a leader is clarifying who we are, where we're going, why we're going there, all these different cultures and generations now can start taking their perspective of that and start going back to that boat analogy, can start rowing in the same direction. The traditional model that I'm your boss or you're my boss and it was, yes, ma'am, whatever you need, you don't hear my perspective and therefore you might get caught on doing things or having things happen that well, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. That's not complicated. So we're actually in a beautiful position for organizations who really want to thrive and grow if they define the alignment factors, the focus, the values, the team, those other pieces, because now we're open to perspectives. And younger generations work for toys and trips. They're not working for pensions and benefits. That ship has sailed. Like, you know, and my father got the golden ticket. And I know it sounds like Willy Wonka, but he got the golden ticket in pensions. Fully indexed. Well, I think it was 80 or 90% of his retiring salary. Yeah, exactly. Like, Wowza. 
yeah. So he got the golden ticket. Yeah, yeah, but, definitely. But my kids and their friends, they are literally asking, so why would I stay here? And if the answer is pension or benefits, they've resigned, but they just haven't left. They're looking for something else right out of the gate. How do you think the younger generation, let's think again about your kids, perhaps, would describe what attracts them to organizations in a non-physical way? Uh, the factors that I was mentioning. Number one, that their values are not something posted on a website. Their values are what people describe about it. It's when they listen to where people work. Oh, man, that sounds like an awesome place. The second factor is, without exception, hands down, the leader. And not always what's called the C-suite leaders, the CFCA, CEO. Not always those leaders, because many frontline don't deal with them. It's the B-suite leaders, those mid-senior mm -hmm. leaders that they're talking about how they lead. They're talking about the kind of rapport they have. Perfect illustration, our son was working on a trade site and you know, it was re concrete. They were pouring a uh, footing, foundation, pad, whatever they're called. And the rebar was sticking out and William was going through it and he tripped over the rebar. And because of the way the foundation had been poured, the inside was full of water. And this was in March or April in Canada. And that's really a chilly time of the year here. And so William tripped over the rebar, landed in this water, probably 10 to 12 inches deep of water. And without exception, there was no anger. There was no, oh, uh, are you okay? Oh, you okay? People started to laugh and said, just so you're aware, this is not a swimming pool and we don't do swimming lessons here. And, you know, what are you going to say? The kid tripped, accidents happened, nobody was injured. But instead of getting all knickers in a knot over something, they laughed and then said, I know I probably should have asked you first. Are you okay? And just embarrassed. My pride took a beating, but I'm fine. Guess what he talks about with the crew that he works with? How funny they are, the connection, camaraderie. 100%. You know what my initial thoughts were? How refreshing. The amount of times I would probably hear in some of the organizations that I enjoyed working in, but at the same time, something in some cultures, at least, that I found a bit annoying mm -hmm. was this immediate, that's inappropriate. Absolutely. You can't make a joke like this. And you, you get to a point where you say, and, and I know it's actually a big challenge um, nowadays in, in many respects is, is, what am I supposed to say? Should I be saying that? Is that appropriate? Can I? So you start to overthink literally every word you are saying. And that so true, isn't it? the fun out of anything, really. Yeah. And this is why we have to go right back to hearing and listening. Because when people feel heard and listened to, the odds of things being misinterpreted dramatically reduce. If you and I have rapport, I might say something royally brain dead, not meaning it inappropriately, 
but it could be misinterpreted. But if we have rapport, you will chuckle and then call me later on it and say, are you aware that that might've come across this way? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, never thought of it that way. I didn't think you would, but just as a heads up, oh, thanks. No big deal. No lawsuits and all the other stuff is just never thought of it that way. Yeah, exactly. Just never crossed my mind. But that only happens with rapport. And rapport only happens when there's trust based in being heard, being listened to, genuineness, being real, transparency, whatever we want to call all those factors. When there's understanding, when there's shared success, when there's truth telling, we get rapport. And it doesn't mean you and I are going to be best friends and do family trips. That's not the point. And it makes work life suddenly so much easier because you can have those conversations and that's it. You've had the conversation, no grudge held, you know, you're not going to bring it up again. It's been discussed, full stop. Yeah, 100%. And what you've just described is part of the reason that things keep getting replayed. Mm -hmm. Because there is a grudge, there is a lack of trust, but it always comes back to rapport. You know, if you meet me at the soccer pitch or the hockey rink or the football field or work or church, you should see a reflection of the same person. Where we run into problems is when we don't see the reflection of the same person. And that's something I still experience frequently in my home country, um, in in Germany. There's a huge change happening at the moment as well. But I still hear it very frequently at work, I'm a different person than at home. And people shouldn't, it's none of people's business who I really am. Phrases like that. And, And I notice in myself when I hear it, how shocked, surprised I am. And not necessarily about them saying those words, more about, oh, that must be hard. It must feel like hard work every day to be someone here and someone else there. Well, can you imagine? So I'm telling you that I'm this person here, I'm this person there, and I'm that person there. But I'm also asking you to help me with work-life balance. How do you balance that, John, when you're being a chameleon? Yeah. And... On the other hand, how I behave based on who I am at home might be different, but the persona, the character, that non-physical description has to be the same. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, this goes right back to whether we call it mental health, whether we call it resilience, whether we call it thriving, whether we call it work-life balance. If I don't define who I am, I won't be able to define it, which means to your comment, that's exhausting. And that takes us so nicely into the last topic that I'm so passionate, so curious about as well. And that is wellness and well-being at, at work. Yeah. Knowing what we just talked about, that well-being is probably not a thing you have only at work and at home you, you don't do anything for it. But how do you actually define leadership wellness? So first thing is, as a leader, one has to define their definition of what it means to thrive. That means continually defining 
what I call a refinable new norm. Because as I grow to here, I need to refine the definition to grow forward. And I can't remember the poet or somebody. Somebody once said, a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Otherwise, what's a heaven for? And it's that premise behind if we're not reaching for the next piece, the next phase, the next stage, we stagnate. So that refinable new norm is a growing forward. But then we have to look at wellness as what most people don't do is they define wellness as not being sick, as not being ill. That's not being well. That's just not being ill. Mm-hmm. So I call it the ABCs, but it's the attitude, beliefs, and connections. And attitudes encompass the emotions and the physical. I don't know what you're like, but Kathleen, if I'm not physically active and I don't deal with my emotions very well, my attitude stinks. Yeah. Like, John, don't be a slug. Get up off the couch. Do something physical. Beliefs are the spiritual and cognitive. And I'm not talking about being religious, but spiritual includes nature. It includes out of doors. It includes music. It includes arts. You know, spiritual, if you're my boss and I believe you're out to get me, I'm now a spiritual person because I have a belief system. Cognitive is that mental, psychological, what am I doing to mentally charge myself? And this goes back to when you were talking about all the issues in the world, all the, so we get through COVID and we're not through it, but we get through COVID and now there's Ukraine, Russia war. There's all these other issues. What am I doing to strengthen the cognitive? Because those issues are always going to be there. So attitudes beliefs and the third one is connections and that is the relationships and the morals i have to know what my out of bounds markers are morals i have to know what is my definition of right and wrong and that doesn't mean i'm to tell you what your definition of right or wrong is i have to know where do i draw the line is that something i can turn a blind eye to pretend pretend that i didn't see it Or, no, I can't do that. Well-being, when we define our connections, those relationships and the morals, it might cost me, but I can live with me. Well, what is well-being? What is thriving? Am I living with me in a healthy place? And leaders have to start that definition, description, and work to say, so what's your definition of thrive? I spoke to a lady called um, Eliza Van Kort and um, also for the podcast here. And she said, when I am feeling in my center, that's when I can be at my best for others as well, because I feel well. And I think you've just summarized that so beautifully. All the self-reflections, the level of awareness to understand When are you in your own center, however you define it and how you notice and and experience it? And because I spoke about batteries, I'll come back to it. I can't give your battery a boost Mm -hmm. if my battery doesn't have a charge. Not possible. Yeah. I've worked in organizations where 
the human resources team, for example, leadership had an interest in people's well-being. Hundred percent, absolutely, and so they should. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. And what often was introduced was a so-called well-being center. Yeah. There's a hub, and in that hub, you might have some GP hours, right? Mm-hmm. So doctor hours, or even therapy hours. You might have a few yoga mats, perhaps as well, and an area where you can literally withdraw in between and just be in your own world. The intent or the intention is is good. It's great. There's nothing wrong about it, quite the contrary. The effect was, however, a different one. Again, just from my own experience, it wasn't really used. Uh, I got sick, so we have already gone to a completely different level outside of wellness and well-being. Now I go up there and, and speak to the doctor. So here we, we treat the symptoms, not the root cause, right? Sick care, not health care. And Asia, is, I always look to Asia when it is about you have to pay the doctor for every day you are healthy. Okay. It's the other way around. So you right. have real interest to keep yourself fit, alive, um, healthy, and that in a spiritual sense, in a mm-hmm. mental sense, in a physical sense. I I love that. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. That's really neat. Yeah. And um, I'm just interested in your observations uh, when it comes to the customers you are working with from the organizations you have been a part of in the past. What has been done there to really enhance people's um, well-being that worked? We're actually at that toggle point between what you just described many organizations have put in place a hub using your word whatever form it takes shape that's not being used and i would suggest that it comes back to it because we're asking people to use a four-letter word and many of us have been taught not to use four-letter words help is a four-letter word care is a four-letter word And we now have to change the discussion from reactive, it's here if you need help, to proactive to say, okay, what are we doing to encourage people so that they know we care? Uh, One simple little tactic is appreciation at work. And I'm not talking about uh, financial compensation. That's not always, that's actually not the number one appreciation at work. Thank you. Uh, uh, You're welcome. It's a simple little practice, but it's amazing how much people feel appreciated. Added to that, leadership, encouraging people to say, okay, I'm not asking you what you're doing after work. I'm asking you, what are you doing after work that's going to charge your battery? And reframe the discussion from a reactive to proactive to say, I need you head in the game. And one of the reasons, Kathleen, that I love first responders is they under military are the same. They understand the repercussions. So if you and I are first responders, military or fire police EMS, if your head is not in the game, I won't pick on you. If my head is not in the game and you and I go to deal with that situation, I might walk away fine. And you 
get walloped. They know that everybody has to have the head in the game. What does that mean in the workplace? How are we going to help people get their heads in the game? And that means, I I can't remember, William Bridges, I think, is the name of the guy, but it's leading through transition. Mm -hmm. He wrote a book and he uses Moses. So in Egypt, they're slaves. And then the promised land and the most stressful time is the time of transition. And Bridges uses the expression and he says, Moses got his MBWA. And so you have to read on a little bit. But he, the key of Moses' leadership during transition was he visited the family campfires. MBWA, Moses been walking around. And I've never forgotten that, obviously. And one of the keys of leadership through transition and a practice that works is maybe not MBWA. For you, it would be CBWA. Kathleen been walking around. But the key for rapport, can I meet you at your campfire? In the workplace, coffee pot, water cooler, lunch table, We've all got a thousand reasons not to take the time, but if we want people to be healthy and thrive through transition, we have to do the been walking around theme. It's the key of rapport. Yeah. What I really love, by the way, is when I speak to a group of leaders, we talk about the water coolers, the coffee machines and whatnot, and then we have the first but. But now we live in a hybrid mode and we are working from home and things have changed and this is all not possible. And no, 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 no. And then there are leaders who say, well, where's your team based? Have a coffee chat at the patio, right? Have a barbecue at a place. If you don't want to do it at your own home, there are loads of places where you can go, invite people around have some really valuable listening online huddles. So there are so many examples where people say, regardless, see the opportunity, see the alternatives. And if it matters to you and it feels meaningful to you, just do it, give it a go. And then they watch what happens. And you know what? The greatest story I've heard recently was where after COVID, And come back to what you were saying, uh, when I I can't wait to go back to normal after COVID. And I said to you, what is normal? It's the same as after COVID. COVID is a part of our lives now. It's still there, right? But they said for the first time after lockdowns, let's say that, we were able to meet up face to face. So we invited the whole team. They were all in the same country, but it was a huge team um, to a barbecue. Over 100 people showed up. Wow. Because people really wanted to spend time with one another, but also responded to the invitation of the leader. It was a sense of appreciation of, I want to connect with you, want to get back together. Also, let's celebrate us as a team. And then I get goosebumps just talking about it because isn't that just wonderful? And part of that psychology that people forget is in prison, Solitary confinement was not a reward. Why do we think that people are going to be better off 
after two and a whatever years of COVID of solitary confinement. Where's the rationale in that? Instead of pretending that when we get back to normal, after two and a half years of solitary confinement, whatever form, change the discussion. And perfect illustration is look at the cost of a barbecue and look at the return on the cost. Mm-hmm. They've now got people who made a commitment to say, not rationally, it's just a barbecue, but humanly said, I need to reconnect. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Even if they didn't say the words, thank you. <laughs> so what is next for you? What's the next crisis you are going to help other people work through? Or perhaps there is a challenge that you are actually working through yourself. There's two that are going on right now. So my first book was Run Toward the Roar, which is that refinable new norm beyond resilience, but thriving. What has kept happening is people have started saying, so what about leaders? How do we lead that kind of ethos, that mindset? So I'm in the process of working with a woman who's helping me write the second book. And writing skills are right up there with my gardening skills. So it's, have I got a visual for you? Like it's, and Kathleen has been so gracious to me. She's a John, you can't say it that way. Well, it makes complete sense. Yeah, but John, nobody understands what you're thinking. Okay. So yes, definite crisis. And I can hear my friends, oh, John, man up, grow a backbone, you know, do it, take it on. And so I'm enjoying it because I found a woman and she is such a blessing, so different from me, such a blessing. And I have a wife and family who are doing the same things to say, so your first one's done. And that was not a ride for the faint of heart. I I mean, it's ironic that the premise behind it was resilience Mm. and to write the book was actually a a walk of resilience. Like it was brutal, including wrong editors through the journey. So this one is starting and I have all those stressors, feelings going on inside me to say, oh, here I go again. I can't afford more years, but I'm doing that. The second thing that I'm focusing in on is I really want to work with the people who really want to thrive. I have to start loving myself enough. And that sounds really arrogant. It's not. It's just a a healthy self-esteem. I want to love myself enough to work with the people who want to thrive, not work with the people who want to talk about thriving. And that's hard because I love helping people. I love encouraging people. And I know earlier we talked about relationship management, Mm -hmm. but I keep trying to help people. And part of where I'm learning is, okay, John, they want to talk about it, study it, pray about it, think about it, whatever. Love them enough to let them choose. And those are the two things that I'm growing up. I'm becoming a big boy. (laughs) So. I don't believe a word. I know. Okay. <laughs> about well, the big what, boy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. You could have hesitated just a moment. No, no we built a certain rapport now. Yes. You know? Yeah. I know. I got my, it. And my directness you know, it's, it, it's kind of one of those things. Let me know what you really think, Kathleen, because, you know, I would never have known. <laughs> Let's do this um, again. 
<laughs> yeah, let's do it again. Yeah. You know what? To point number one, it's the second time you are mentioning a great woman that stepped into your life that you really admire. And I'm wondering here, uh, what what does your wife say when she listens into those stories? Uh, she, my wife, is actually the greatest woman I know, and so therefore she knows that she has zero. Actually, she has less than zero percent interest in working with me on writing a book because she would try and hug me with both hands. So, so she's doing the. Well, God bless that woman for her willingness to work with you and not choke you. Yeah. So, and and because of the relationship that my wife and I have, that Carolyn and I have, I play to her strengths in so many different areas that. You know what? Writing a book is not something she desires to do, dream of do, doing, but she loves reviewing what's written. So good luck with that book. Thank um, you. Writing it, ghost writing it perhaps for someone uh, and supporting you throughout this process. Well, she's, uh, we've got the skeleton all mapped out and now we're putting the flesh on the bones. And so it's coming a lot quicker. And so it's just been, but because I've done the first book, I can actually have a little more understanding of what I need to be doing now. Mm -hmm. Previously, well, to go back to leadership that I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, when I did the first one, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Now I have a better idea of what I don't know and what I do know. So, yeah. Did you ask for help throughout the I did. first experience? And the first experience, I asked for help, but I kept hearing the, well, that's not how we do it kind of responses. And, well, you can't say it that way. Well, that's not, well, actually, I can say it that way because that is the whole premise of the book. So finding somebody who was willing to write from a perspective of, well, we've never done it this way before. So let's see how it goes. And I, basically, the, the short version of it is the, the key theme of Run Toward the Roar ethos is passio fidelis. Mm. Passio is the root word of passion, and fidelis is the root word of faithfulness and loyalty. And so figure out what you're going passionate about and what we are willing to be faithful to, and we will be resilient. We will thrive. By the way, if anybody wonders now what John has been talking about and feels a little bit like, oh my God, what, what, what is that exactly? He has a fantastic definition that he had to share with me because I didn't have a clue when he shared it with me for the first time. I looked at him like, what are we talking about? Which we should be um, sharing when we um, post this episode. It's highly, highly interesting to speak about uh, or, or see the definition of leadership from, you can almost say, historical perspective. Absolutely. Thank you. So yeah. thank you for helping me learn and widen my perspective, by the way. John, by the way, that was a fantastic example for what we talked about beforehand. You know, we have always done it that way. or We usually don't do it this way. Those blockages and limitations we may be responding with right away before having given ourselves and the other person actually some space yeah. to think, to ideate, whatever it is. And if I had a quarter for every time I quit writing that first book, I'd be a billionaire. It was just, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not wired to do this. I can't do this. I'm not a writer. And you know, all those recordings that we all have in our past, they kicked into gear. Yeah. 
Well, here you go. You wrote about resilience indeed. I did and lived it. To point number two, it would be great if you can connect point number two with one key top tip on top of all the other top tips you've already shared throughout this episode, how you might be doing that to follow your passion to help others mm-hmm. while focusing on those that truly want to take the steps to thrive and not just talk about it. And Okay, now you're forcing me into confession, the third area. So not only am I not a great gardener, good one, not only am I not a good writer, great one, but I'm also not a good action plan scheduler. So using a calendar is, well, Pirates of the Caribbean kind of approach. Rules are more like guidelines. Besides, we're pirates anyways. So my calendar scheduling is more of that premise. Yeah, you know what? Let's schedule. The reason I love using Outlook is I can drag appointments all over my calendar. First thing that a person has to do, and I can't give credit where it's due. I don't remember where I read it, but it was called chunking, breaking the day down into chunks. And do you know the term chunking, Kathleen? I do. Okay. And so therefore, breaking it into chunking in those key modules. Okay, what am I doing for newsletter, articles, social media writing? What am I doing for reaching out to potential clients? What am I doing for John's well-being? What am I doing to support the people that are in my life? What am I doing to invest in the people I love? And putting them in my calendar, but not being allowed to be always moving them around. So one of the things that that recharges my battery is family time. Yes, they drive me nuts sometimes, but I love them. And and so one of the things that we do is I make a commitment to that family time and nothing breaks it. And I have had people say, well, this is a really big issue in our life. And okay. Well, I have something on today or this evening. What's tomorrow like? Well, I was kind of hoping for today. Okay, well, next option, because today is not an option. And because I love helping, that's hard for me to say no. But what I've learned is stop saying no, John, and start saying yes. If I say yes to my values, to what I love, what I'm passionate about, I will say no to the things that are not there. Yeah. And so when we talk, when I talk about chunking, I'm talking about building out the schedule a week, whatever, a couple weeks to say, okay, here's kind of jokingly my 11th commandment. Thou shalt do the following things, John. But if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And that's the hardest part. We have to have those people in our lives to say, so John, many people call me JR, but so JR, I thought you said you were going to yada, yada, yada. Yeah, well, hold it. Are you giving me an excuse? Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I am. Okay, go ahead. Carry on with your excuse. And you and I know that as soon as they say that, there's no point naming it. Yeah. There is, however, this element when you might have to say, 
in your own yes way, no to people who want to thrive, but actually don't want to take action, yep. right? Where you have to be clear. And there's this interpersonal side. We don't want to hurt people or, or their feelings. You know, we don't want to give them the feeling that they don't have any support and so on and so forth. However, it might be kinder actually to say no in this case which might help them realize that there is more work to be done first of all, or they need to find that inner commitment first instead of giving a pity. Yes. Absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's for me at least still a huge challenge to overcome then to approach it more from this, this way you've, ex or you've explained in the beginning where you say, you know, look, you have, we've been talking about this. I've been sharing the story. Um, for th uh, three times now, what's the news about it? What are you committed to do differently this time? Yeah. I think that's really key. And that's the part where we have to be the leader because it means they may not like us when we ask it, mm. but they will be able to respect us and trust us. Mm. And, you know, I'd rather, and this is part of that whole premise, and I don't want to get philosophical, but one of the biggest problems that people have right now is definition of love. Love requires discipline. Punishment does not require love. Punishment is you didn't do the fault of the rules, John. But if I love something, I have to be willing to discipline. Think about a competitive coach. Did you ever play sports? Yeah, volleyball. Okay, now you've just picked up on the fourth area that I don't do well. And just to show you, just as a lighthearted way, my our one of our sons was taking his girlfriend, and the five of them were leaving in the driveway. They're going to a volleyball game tournament, and they were backing out. And this friend said, I feel really bad leaving John at home and not including him. All four of my family members said, we don't. And that was because I'm not a great volleyball player. It's I'm, I'm allowed now to come with a camera, not to be on the court. But going back to that premise of love and discipline, when you were learning the sport, which kind of a coach is more loving? The one that says, oh, you're doing a wonderful job. Mm -hmm. You're super. Just keep doing what you're doing. Or the coach that says, yeah, that was done well. However, I need you to work on duk, 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 discipline. Yeah. yeah. And the problem is nobody likes discipline, but we're always better for it in the long run. Yeah. So both true. the giver and the receiver. But you and I as leaders, we have to make a decision. Am I willing to be a leader who loves people enough to do what needs to be done? Beautiful final words. Thank you so much, John. And actually, they weren't the final words. The final words are all about where can people find you and find out more about the amazing work you're doing? Okay, there's two locations. So run toward the roar, one word, run toward the roar dot online is the book. The business work website is fortlog.co. So fort safe place in the frontier you got to know where you're going a log is a journal to help others sail the sea because there's no point going there alone dot co not calm because i work with people coach collaborate colleague not a calm 
So fortlog.co. And for this, just forward slash legendary leaders. And I'd love to have that conversation. I really would. So please book a time. Let's have that conversation. And I may not be the right person, but let's figure out what's most helpful. And Kathleen, because I have the microphone right at this moment, I just really want to say thank you so much for the podcast that you're doing because I have benefited from them. And so I just really, really respect you for the work that you've undertaken because I know this is not easy to be a host. So thank you for being the leader you are. Thank you so, so much. And wow, now you took my spirit and dynamic away to make a really direct and rude joke, but I'm not going to do it anymore. Thank you for the kind, kind words. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. I mean, we have gone over one and a half hours. Here we go. And I'm pretty sure we could go much longer. It's been a pleasure having you and to hear your incredible insights and to share it here with the audience and dear audience we would love to hear from you uh, hear the feedback hear your questions and as john has so kindly offered get in touch with him have a chat the worst thing that can happen is he says no i don't want to help you um no perhaps not in this way but no i would say that bluntly (laughs) (laughs) he might not be uh, the match or he might be your biggest cheerleader and supporter going forward who keeps your lights on so enjoy having this conversation with him reading his initial book and looking forward to reading the next book when do you plan to launch it we're just in the final phases of getting that going so i don't know yet let's see we are going to have a look and keep us updated thank you everybody have a wonderful remaining day and speak to you very soon bye bye thank you so much for listening to the legendary leaders podcast if you enjoyed this episode then remember to subscribe to the show either on itunes spotify amazon music or on my website www.kathleenmerkel.com I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.